0: Welcome to That's No Longer My Ministry, a podcast that tells a different story about healing. A story of healing as discipline, as real, hard, and uncomfortable work. This is a place where we honor the journeys of marginalized folk actively purging years of programming and the consequence of never being centered. A place for acknowledging and moving through trauma. where radical self-liberation is sought and no is a complete sentence you should listen if you're someone who wants to build the kind of life you don't need to escape from I'm your host Nadia a black woman who has spent way too much time trying to fit into a number of spaces that weren't and still aren't meant for me but that's no longer my ministry.
1: Oh, are we starting now?
0: Yeah. This is it. This is happening. This is it. This This is 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 the podcast episode. People are listening to us right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, right now I'm feeling pretty anxious, which has been so present for me this past week and a half. And I I do, you know, work and go through my day-to-day living with anxiety. Mm. And, you know, I have this, like, ping-ponging in my mind where I'm like, oh, should I go? Should I not go? Should I, like, cancel? Or should I just, like, go with it? And I am now attaching myself to this question of, like, what does it mean if I do go? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean if I don't go? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to mean anything negative about myself. So, yes, I'm anxious yeah, And yeah, that's how I'm feeling right now. That's such a
0: interesting response because I relate to it so much. Yeah. So I have had anxiety probably since like later years of college on. It was something that developed out of nowhere. Like I've, I've had depression since I was a kid. So that's mm. something that I'm like old news, like a mental illness that I can carry. But anxiety is like so, it can be so intrusive. And some of the questions that you said that you ask yourself, like, should I go? Should I not go? What does it mean if I don't go? I ask myself that about like meeting to meeting every day where Mm -hmm. I'm like, do I have to be there? If I don't go there, what's going to happen? Maybe nothing, maybe something, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so I just think that's, that's such an interesting thing to share and that you shared it so openly first thing. Yeah. And so my question is like, Is anxiety something you've
1: dealt with for a long time? Yeah, I've dealt with anxiety since I was a kid and depression as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I've just learned to deal with it and talk to it differently as I've gotten older. Yeah, but it it can be very paralyzing. Mm -hmm. And I share it because I am comfortable with it. And also it's... I also am an overshare because I can be very raw and I've learned that that's like a trauma response to not feeling heard. So, Mm -hmm. I tend to give a lot of myself and it's been a strength and also something that kind of scares people away. Hmm. But... I mean, I only keep the people that accept it close to me. To me, it's important. Authenticity is important. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And I honestly don't give a shit about people who get scared away by (laughs) my oversharing.
1: Right. It's not about you. (laughs) It's not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I know you because I've been taking your yoga classes and there was just an energy there that I loved. Like, since the first class... I was like, what just happened? Because I, and I happened upon your yoga class. So context for listeners is that you're teaching in the courtyard, which is right outside my window of my apartment. And I remember I was like on my bike cycling and I saw you all gathering outside and I was like, why am I on this bike when I could be doing yoga? Like it was just immediate. (laughs) So I went outside, was like, you know what, whatever happens, happens. And after the class, I remember coming back in and talking to some coworkers and I'm like, something just happened and it was magical. Oh, And I couldn't identify what it was, but I was like, that was one of the best yoga practices I've had in a long time. So I'm going to keep going back because that's a feeling I want to keep having. But this is the time where I want you to share with listeners, like, who are you? And it doesn't have to be just your yoga, but who are you in the context of what you feel to be like some of your core elements of you? And yeah, what would you want people to know about you?
1: Well, first of all, I have to give you some of that magic back because when I saw you walking in, I was so excited. I could just feel your energy, and you were very eager to be in the class, so that's like part of the work of coming to a yoga class, too. Thank You're you. You're showing up for it like holy, and I felt like you did that. So that's part of the magic. I love that. <laughs> I love that because
0: I really – and it had been so long since I had been – in a class with other people, I'd been practicing yeah. yoga by myself and like just kind of trying to drag myself through the pandemic with some kind of movement. Right. So it didn't feel as intentional at that time. And when I had gotten to that class, I was like, is this me reconnecting with yoga again? Like, am I starting <clears> to feel it again? So I'm glad you felt some of that energy.
1: Well, beyond being a yoga teacher, gosh, well, my name is Erin Twazin. And I am a Bay Area native. I'm a daughter of Filipino immigrants. And gosh, I am an only child of a single mother. And what else? There's so much about me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to unpack more. Right. But I'm
0: just curious about what things rise to the surface. Like This is such a difficult question for people to answer, especially if you ask people to answer it. Without the context of work. Which sure. I think people... Because people really start to... At least... And I work in tech. So it could be that. But I feel like people really get super tied to their title. Or... or what they do. Whatever they're doing to, that makes money. And mm-hmm. I'm like... I don't really care to answer that. Especially when I'm not at work. And people ask me, like, who are you? I'm just like, you know, like... I'm a writer. You know, I'm a black girl.
1: Yeah. I just
0: like to do things with friends that make me happy, like
1: that. (laughs) Exactly. I am totally with that because I've just been in so many social situations where I've felt judged and measured by what job I have. Mm -hmm. And it made me so uncomfortable. So I made a conscious decision to not ask people what they did for their work for, Mm -hmm. I think, maybe two years now. Mm -hmm. And that's... I feel like that's such a better approach in getting to know someone because it gives space for someone to really tap into what they want to share. And, you know, peel away the layer of, like, oh, I work in this industry or I do this. And, you know, really, this is how much money I make.
0: Right, right. Which I feel like, especially... In the Bay Area, because there are a lot of money makers here, mm-hmm. that can that can be the all-consuming conversation.
1: Yeah,
0: and it's not fun. Like <laughs> it's not fun, especially like someone who has a partner who's not in tech, not anywhere in my field, and I bring him to things that I'm going to in my yes. spaces, and it's like this is not fun. It's not fun for him, so it means it's really not that fun.
1: Yeah. And this happens too, and not in tech circles. I feel like it happens a lot in creative circles in Oakland and creative communities where they kind of measure measure you up based on the work that you do, what you Mm -hmm. produce, you know, it's kind of hard and there's a lot of pressure in claiming this like creative title because I think even the identity as artist is also like forced to be this consumable thing. Based on like what you create, but with that being said, I do identify with being a creative, an artist. I have danced my whole life. Awesome! And i kind act- of dance? I'm just. I need to know what kind of dance. <laughs> I am trained in ballet and jazz, all the studio dancing, and then I was on my high school dance team. Um, and then in uh, college, I started like a hip hop group with my friends, and. Actually, that was an act of like, we, because we all didn't make it into the actual, not actual, but <laughs> one of the main hip hop dance teams at the university. So we all created our own. And now I am kind of diving into a lot of different things in terms of movement and creative movement. And I've just done so much recently. But in the past two years, I actually, I take these heels dance classes that are just so like liberating and fun and challenging Mm -hmm. because you are challenged to strip away ideas you have about your body and what it means to be sexual, Mm -hmm. sexuality. And so there's been a lot of that. And I took my first aerial silks class. Very challenging. Yeah. <laughs> Very challenging. I'm interested in it,
0: but I'm also intimidated by how challenging I've heard it is.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to go back. Like, I'm intrigued. It seemed like a puzzle that I want to put together. Yeah. Um, so with all this, like, different kind of physical movement, I am trying to integrate it in a way or with my... Spiritual practice and my healing practice, and produce some sort of. Uh, I don't know, like performance art. I try to not to say performance because it's performative.
0: <laughs> yeah. I want
1: my movement and my artistry to be more intuitive. Mm-hmm. So I would say intuitive movement.
0: You've heard the podcast, at least the first episode. Yes. And I know that you like the activity that we're about to move into, which is the segment called So We've Been Told. I went a different way about this. (laughs) I love when I source things, I always have a different approach. This time I was like, what kind of yoga phrases are put on t-shirts?
1: Ooh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And because we see, because this is what we see too about yoga. Yes. And I think there are a lot of things for me personally, and I'm not going to say if this, like, relates to you or not. But there's a lot of things about, like, Western yoga yoga practices that bug me. And I've Absolutely. definitely... Yeah, I feel like I feel like the t-shirts are what make me hate those kinds of studios. Like, I can tell before I walk in whether or not I'm going to like it. Yeah. The live, laugh, learn
1: studios is what I'll call them. <laughs> the dance, like, know what nobody's watching.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Crowd. Yeah. Th- that crowd. And so... I have four phrases. They're all shorts. That's great. And you can spend as much time riffing on how they make you (laughs) feel. So the first one, I'm just here with a shavasana. That's on a t-shirt. I haven't
1: heard that one in a long time. See, any kind of yoga or phrase associated with yoga on a t-shirt is automatically being commodified. So and it's like meant to be sold and worn and worn as like a superficial layer so that already like kind of turns me off so like in context on a shirt that's weird (laughs) for me i don't know shavasana is where everything integrates all the things you learn on the mat and feel and like understand in your body and your mind essentially shavasana is where everything integrates and so i understand the sentiment
0: (laughs) and for non-yoga practice practice, well non-yogis let me just say that because i don't know what i was trying to say um what is shavasana
1: shavasana is it means corpse pose and it's the last pose in a yoga class where essentially you're just lying down and you get to just release All the physical work, all the mental work, and just be.
0: Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. I'm not going to lie. It's like
1: you get to just feel the ground beneath you. Mm -hmm. That phrase implies almost that I can be a yogi and not do any of this work. And I can just lie down and be okay. Some people might need that. You know, but I think if you're kind of like touting it on a shirt, there's some sort of like, there's something missing of your understanding of the practice. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. So this next one, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of friends about this one phrase, but I also want to put it in the context of t-shirts that I saw. So the phrase itself is namaste. The t-shirts are namaste in bed. Namaste all day.
1: It's a no for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so disrespectful and co-opting such a beautiful phrase in Sanskrit. There is a woman, Susanna Barkataki, who is at the forefront of decolonizing yoga in the West. Mm. And a part of what she says and talks about on her instagram and through her teaching is this the co-opting of this phrase uh namaste and i just don't like it namaste in bed is just disrespectful i think what is the true meaning of namaste it means the light in me or the teacher in me sees and honors the teacher in you I mean, also, it's more of a greeting. I just don't feel like phrases like that respect the roots of yoga. And it's very much tied to the studios that don't acknowledge that.
0: And those studios, like, you walk into those studios, there's appropriation all over the place. Yeah. With, With visuals. Like, it's the market they're intending on reaching. It makes those people feel connected to I don't know what connected to this idea that they have about what I don't I I don't even I don't even know how to explain it's just whiteness
1: (laughs) it it is whiteness it's god it just somatically it hurts my gut Mm yeah 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 it is appropriation and just yeah (laughs)
0: Uh. that's good I like that (laughs) alright this phrase and this one's a little bit more general but it did pop up in the search the literal google search yoga phrases on t-shirts let that shit go
1: let that shit go I say that in my classes and it comes from a genuine place but it also can be interpreted as bypassing Not being able to sit with those negative emotions or whatever you're processing and just to let it go almost feels like you're not, you're just like if you were to tell someone, let that shit go, if someone were to tell me, let that shit go, I'd be pissed off.
0: Me too. Me too. I would rage
1: yeah i w- i wouldn't be happy
0: <laughs> but also but it's so interesting because you're like i say that in my class and also when i first read it i was like i'm into that though because like let that shit go that doesn't serve you right mm-hmm. let that like that's, that's like all of what i'm talking about on this podcast is like letting shit that you don't need to carry with you anymore go i mean those are obviously more specific phrases
1: I'm okay with that. I'm okay with let that shit go. I'm okay with let, let go of what does not serve you. But again, just to go back to the point of phrases on t-shirts, there's a time and place.
0: (laughs) There's a time and place. And you also don't need to put that on a t-shirt. I don't think everything in the universe is within you.
1: (sighs) I love this one. (laughs) Wait, oh my gosh, I'm having deja vu. I'm having deja vu of this exact moment where it's you and me and you here sitting, doing this podcast and talking about this phrase. All right. Say it again. Say it again. (laughs) It's like my body is like we were already here. Everything in the universe is within you. Yes, that is exactly what I try to remind students of to return to within themselves and know that everything that they're working for is possible because you have everything you need inside. It is a little bit woo woo when you like first take this phrase in and it was something I struggled with too when I first became a yoga teacher. It reminds me of People who would tell me you can manifest your own dreams, mm. and that was something that I could not contend with for a long time. I didn't understand like abundance mindset or scarcity mindset, and I was like, manifest is just so co-opted by white women. Yeah, yeah. but now that I'm here, I, I've I love that one, mm-hmm. and that's 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 the work in yoga is. Becoming one with everything that's inside of you.
0: I don't want to add anything because you just said all the right things (laughs) (laughs) You just you just did all the right things so I I can't I can't add to
1: that What is no longer your ministry this week? I've been dealing with a lot of Revisiting of my shadows So all the like sticky, icky, shadowy parts of myself have been popping in to say hi. And what it really comes down to for me is perfectionism and trying to exist in this grind culture. Mm -hmm. And that's just never been for me. And it is now so loudly clear that it is not for me.
0: Hmm. How's it showing up loudly right now?
1: Well, as everyone's getting back into their regular day-to-day, I'm finding myself not... I don't want it. Like, it's not working for me. Mm -hmm. And it's actually causing more anxiety and fatigue. Thinking about how I'm going to essentially make it and live in this world especially as someone who is of service and wants to make these things accessible for people but also i need to fucking survive yeah um and that's my programming like i have a survival mindset Mm. and i also have a perfectionist mindset which i did not know but i do know now it is so loud and clear and It also manifested in some really crazy period pains. Mm -hmm. I'm a large believer in somatics and somatic therapy. And it's deeply tied to my understanding of chakras too. So Mm -hmm. energy wheels in the body. I do not function in the 24 hour cycle of work and worth ethic. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time I was telling myself, I'm just lazy. And that's just not it. You know, I'm not lazy. I have drive and I have ambition and goals. But the pressure to keep on going and reinventing the wheel right now is very difficult for me. Especially as someone who, you know, quit their 40-hour job right before the pandemic. Like six months before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And just like was trying to figure it out and then the pandemic hit and I was like I'm a yoga teacher with no mainstream of income right now right and then I was like okay what's everyone doing oh everyone's teaching online and then with that I was like oh I don't think I'm ready I don't feel ready enough to be just putting myself out there yeah and teach online and so all these like insecure voices were coming into my head. Like, um, you don't have a following. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and you are just starting out to be a full-time yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. And then I was just like, so boggled by like so many other yoga teachers who were like, On it. They were like, well, this is my schedule now. These are my offerings. Mm. And this is my brand identity. And everyone's like, this is so easy. You can just do it on Canva and you just do this and you do that. And like, that's not how I want to do things.
0: It's also not easy. It's
1: not.
0: Like, that's a. Because, like, yes, there are tools that make things simpler. But like, you're also you have to do your job in addition to your marketing in addition to your content creation in addition to your like design it, 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 like it's not it's not easy i feel like that's such a offensive thing to say
1: <laughs> yeah and then i was like just getting paralyzed you know and not doing the things that i wanted to do so i took a huge break um and just turned off my brain for a while yeah And I'm starting to feel those feelings again as like things are shifting in the world Mm -hmm. in terms of like work ethic and the pressure to just keep going, like to adapt to virtual teaching and then feeling pressured to adapt again Mm -hmm. because people are like, not wanting to take online offerings anymore they're they're super burnt out yeah um i recently was talking to a friend who you know created all of these amazing workshops and classes and then she's just like i'm not i'm not getting the the same energy back in return of the energy that i put in for this and it's bumming me out Mm. so that kind of scared me I, I'm a perfectionist and I want things to be the way that I envision them because there's, there's so much imagery in my mind but I'm really trying to learn to let that go because I just have to do it Yeah. and learn along the way it's been something I talk about a lot in class and it's so loudly a message to myself
0: that's interesting too because you said like well you didn't think you were a perfectionist yeah like what what were signs all of a sudden like oh I get yeah I am a perfectionist like what <laughs>
1: um so currently I my one of my mentors um at one of the studios I teach with online she is so graciously gives us Constructive criticism and suggestions for classes, which is exactly what I need. I'm the type of person that needs that. Mm-hmm. But it's also can easily become so destructive for me. Yeah. Like criticism for me and someone telling me what to do and how to do something is very difficult. Yeah. I like, I think I'm a better teacher when I have more freedom and liberation in the way that I can use class in the way that I feel is most authentic. but it that doesn't mean like everything she's sharing with me isn't important. Mm-hmm. I I just am now like finding that there's a tension where I take everything that she says in and it's like hurting me. And I, like, mm. take forever to make these classes. And I'm like, I have to have my playlist all right. And I have to make sure everything is set up perfectly, like, technologically. I'm, like, hanging on to all these different suggestions and advice. Yeah. They shouldn't be this, like, detrimental to the way that I teach.
0: Right. They should just be suggestions.
1: Yeah. And it that's on me. You know, that's the way I am processing these things mm-hmm. and that's to me it feels like i'm needing to be perfect
0: yeah and i'm also curious because you you even mentioned as one of the things you're letting go is like or not letting go of but something that's been programmed into you i mean maybe you're trying to let go is this like idea of being in survival mode yeah and i'm curious about that because i'm because you also said like six months before the pandemic quit my uh 40 hour job so like being in survival mode is something that has been programmed into you. So, like, the idea for me personally, I'm like, if I quit my 40-hour week job tomorrow, my anxiety would take over. And I don't don't know what would come out of it. I just don't know. Mm -hmm. And that scares me too.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's not for everyone. And I do acknowledge how privileged I am to be able to have figured it out. Yeah. And have the support system to do that. Uh, but it was not an easy decision. I was at this job for about four years, and even before then, as I was leaving college and then working job to job to job, that's that's what it was. Like I kept getting burnt out and not knowing what was going on inside of me and just skipped around a lot. And mm-hmm. then finally, I was at this 40-hour job where I did have, you know, benefits and a salary and all the good stuff. Healthcare, I guess. <laughs> it's good stuff. Like, healthcare. It is. <laughs> this country does not make it easy for you to have healthcare, so. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, our healthcare system is interesting. I was finding myself just getting my mental health just plummeting. Mm -hmm. and I was not a happy person at work. And I was supposed to be the happiest person at work. I organized all the social events. Oh, wow. And I essentially was the leader of community there. Mm -hmm. It was really difficult. Also to see everyone else, like, almost mowing around and, like, so unhappy mm-hmm. and being forced to work while they're sick. And I was getting sick every like month, I would be sick. Oh, man. and I was like, there's something wrong. Um, and I was so unhappy, and everything felt like an attack to my system. Mm. So I had to leave.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm really that's I'm proud of you. I do not even know you in that time.
1: It was the best thing that I could have done for myself because for the longest time, I was asking for a break. Yeah. There was a moment in time or a year where I was unemployed, and that was the worst year of depression that I've ever had, and I didn't do anything, but that was not a true break where Mm -hmm. I was intentionally trying to understand who I am and what I want. Yeah, It is really hard because we live in a world that enforces this, like, arbitrary thing of, like, this is how much you have to work. Yeah. To be okay. Right. Yeah, and then a lot of companies try to convince you that what you're doing is okay because they give you all these great perks. Right. Like, we have a wellness package for you to take care of yourself, but you can't take you can't take advantage of that if you're just working all the time.
0: Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> I'm just like, no. Love talking
0: about, like, these things that you're trying to unprogram, and I really want to get into the work you've been doing because it's the work for me, and that's the name of this segment. And so <laughs> and so, one thing that I feel like this was, like, when I introduced you to the pod was I heard that you were working on some healing from ancestral trauma, yeah, And I'm curious about the link between ideas of perfectionism and how you've grown up, like your identity, how that all comes together. Like, where did these beliefs about perfectionism come from? And what's the work you're doing to start to undo that?
1: So for me growing up, especially as an only child, I had a lot of the attention on me. mm. Even though I did have a huge, huge family. Yeah. I have 20 cousins on my mom's side and like 20 cousins on my dad's side. Oh. Yeah. It's because, you know, we're pressured to do the best that we can. Mm -hmm. uh, Especially as first or second generation children who are given this opportunity, you know, to to be here and make it. Yeah. And if you weren't doing things right, you were largely shamed or guilted with that in mind. Like, Mm -hmm. we came here for you. Yeah. And it's been really hard for me to deal with growing up because, you know, mental health and your emotions are not acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Well, in my family, yeah. they, weren't. they were definitely not acknowledged.
0: They weren't mine either. Well, my mom will acknowledge it, but
1: yeah.
0: my dad being from Nigeria, like that mental illness is not a thing. Right. That's a white person's thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like Which I'm like, damn, y'all can't be
0: telling me it's a white person's thing because I, I have some struggles that I need to talk about. And so it makes you almost feel like you can't even be part of your own culture if you have these things.
1: Yes. And you know, I'm on I'm in a different place when I think about why my parents are that way. And that's where learning about the psychology of Filipinos and Filipino Americans plays largely into me healing. Mm. Um which because it wasn't important in our culture you know a lot of that research like didn't exist or is very minimal and now i'm seeing a lot of that being put at the forefront of conversations you know within communities that are care about the same things but i understand why you know our parents put a lot of pressure on us but also, I have a lot of empathy for them, understanding that they have such deep-seated colonial mindsets, especially for Filipinos who were colonized by the Spanish and the U.S. back-to-back. There was no space or time to untangle that for them. Mm-hmm. It, for them, it's just like survival.
0: Yeah. 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 That's... I, that's just like that's you know without your particular ethnicity in consideration that's just such a universal yeah. storyline for immigrants right yeah. and, and especially like people who have been colonized yeah it's astounding and horrifying and disgusting to me just how much we have to carry because of colonization
1: exactly and you would have to do so much to prove your existence or prove your identity and somehow we, we were told that the only way to do that is to be perfect and then even at that point we're still not even acknowledged mm. i feel like for filipinos and filipino americans specifically we exist in such a in between space mm where it's difficult to be acknowledged within the Asian cultures and Asian identities. And, you know, it's hard for me to talk about because growing up, I was always in between. Like, I'm not Filipino. I'm not Filipino enough. I'm not American enough. I'm also... A dark-skinned Asian. Am I Asian? Or am I Pacific Islander? And you're just, like, caught in the Mm in-between all the time. Yeah. And and that's just been... I was telling my friend last night, that's just been a large theme throughout my whole life, too. Like, mentally. Mm -hmm. Being an air sign. Yeah. As a Gemini. I'm like, I feel like I'm just always, like, moving across, like space mm-hmm. and nothing is super definite for me, like but yeah. that's also something that's very comfortable for me because I've learned to be there. Yeah. And there's more liberation there for me. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like so definitive with my identity too. And the but we also live in this place, in this system, in this world where you have to be you feel like you have to be definitive about who you are to like survive mm-hmm. and be known or acknowledged.
0: Yeah. And you don't want to be misunderstood or misrepresented either. Right. It's hard to find that balance. Like, obviously, I'm also a Gemini. Big fan. <laughs> <laughs> big fan. And, <laughs> and like, I... It's so related. Like, I... I even... One of my... I have a coach that I was speaking to about just, like, so far in at least my career aspirations, I've lived in this, like, free form. I'm just going to follow the energy to the next thing. Yeah. And I've never... I've never necessarily chosen any one of my roles. It's just been like, that seems like something interesting that I could do, and I'm going to do it. And mm. then it's given me a new like package of skill sets that I'm like, I wonder how this is going to translate next. And that is something I've always been very comfortable with. But then all of a sudden, recently, I'm like, I don't want to be misunderstood or misrepresented. So when I'm like reached out to for my next thing, or when I'm reaching out for my next thing, what is something solid and like grounded that I can tell people about who I am and what I want to do it, and I didn't know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I've like, str- that resonates with me so much. Yeah, I've struggled with that too. I never did well in interviews. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing you're doing <laughs> like, great right now. I'm, here. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> no, that's not true.
0: That's that's a hundred percent a lie.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get a lot of anxiety when someone's like. Tell me about yourself. Like, well, I have so much to say. Yeah. And that's actually what it reignited my healing journey too, is when, as I was trying to figure out what I'm doing as a yoga teacher and ultimately what my like mission is, I couldn't really pin it down. And I had a conversation with someone who, who, who I believed was going to help me kind of form those mm-hmm. and she asked me that question and she could feel my energy shift and she was like maybe you're not ready for this program like you should get in touch with what you you know it wasn't a bad thing it was like mm-hmm. she sees me for sure and it helped me and you know I thought I knew myself but really the next thing that happened was meeting my my life coach who helped me understand who i am or like put it into context and that was also a large part of my ancestral healing because it was within a community of immigrant children
0: so tell me about that that like because that's like the beginning of the work is really getting to know you Mm -hmm. which sounds like such a massive undertaking and it is For, like, for anybody who's like, I really don't know myself, Mm -hmm. how did that start for you? How did you, and also how did your life coach kind of help you, like, chip away at getting started? Okay, so
1: I had one-on-one sessions with her. Mm -hmm. And then another part of the program was every week we would meet um, with about 12 women of Asian descent And kind of just tackle all of these things that we all apparently were going through together. Mm -hmm. And I, for a long time, I felt so disconnected to this identity as Asian American woman or Asian woman. But being in this space with these women week after week and hearing everyone's stories. Yeah. Because that's stories are the medicine was super healing for me. Yeah. And also felt like a real community Mm -hmm. and we talked about like how to shift your beliefs we talked about fears and abundance mindset Mm -hmm. and just so much and all in the scope of like we all have this programming to kind of release. Mm-hmm. It was such a great experience to have gone through through the pandemic.
0: I'm curious like were there some common themes that were showing up for all of you?
1: So definitely perfectionism was all across the board, something we all shared, the need to people please mm-hmm. and thinking things are just not in your reach. Mm-hmm and feeling really restricted by expectations, and shame, and guilt. And, oof, there's so much. And feeling and playing very small. And being comfortable there, and realizing that it's actually very destructive. And also, during the last part of our time together, was very recently and it was during the shootings in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and that was a very obviously traumatic thing to experience as an Asian woman but to have that group during that time was the best thing that I could have had Mm -hmm. because what I've personally gone through in terms of like the male gaze was was great. I mean, it's what I needed, mm-hmm. and it connected me so deeply to understanding, you know, who I am, but also like who my mom was or is, mm-hmm. and being a single woman, you know, raising me. Yeah, and what she's experienced because we both have experienced abuse in our lives and have struggled to kind of break that cycle too. Hmm. And I was confronted with myself and like all the ways that I'm perpetuating this abusive like mentality and like ideas of what it means to be in an intimate relationship
0: yeah, to, to reflect on what it means to be in, in, in an intimate relationship I'm curious what were your beliefs and how have they shifted as you've begun this reflection
1: I was extremely angry and defensive about everything and anything that had to do with someone attacking me mm. I was so ready just to fight back and I mean, what I've learned is that, like, I know how to advocate for myself. But I was very focused on my anger. Hmm. And anger is a great emotion if you understand it and sort of wield it in the right ways and, and like, use it as a tool to understand what you want and how to make your own boundaries. But sometimes anger can come from a place that's, you know insecurity Mm -hmm. and I would be so critical of people and especially men who don't know how to understand their anger but I was here I was doing the same very fucking thing yeah so to like turn the mirror on yourself and understand what you're projecting is -hmm. such a tough thing anger is my
0: favorite emotion it's my favorite emotion because it's the easiest for me to access
1: Oh yeah, me too.
0: And it could mean so many other things. It could actually mean I'm sad. Yeah. But I'm just so angry in that moment. And I think what you just said about like turn that mirror on yourself. I, I had this reflection a few months ago and it was disturbing to me. But it was like I have this and people know this. I share this on social media. I, I, I do know that I've been a victim of abuse mm-hmm. many times. Right. A lot of my relationships have been abusive and when I really started to reflect on it, it's like, but I've also been the abuser. Yeah. And what a sick thing to have to come to terms with. But it, but it's a truth that I have to acknowledge. Yeah. And in acknowledging that, that's when I can start working on that.
1: That's hard work. It's super nuanced, too, because you don't ever want to... You don't want to gaslight yourself either. But I've learned to... Or I'm, I am learning. hmm I'm still a process of learning to not be so definitive in my judgments and what I believe to be true, mm-hmm. which is so very difficult. It is. Because you have all these experiences in your life that reinforce these things over and over again, especially if you've experienced abuse in your life mm-hmm. continually. But you do, there is a point where you have to say, okay, how am I contributing to this cycle?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and what are some ways that you have started to work on breaking the cycle?
1: Um really digging my heels into slowing down mm-hmm. and ref- reflecting. My fave um listening into my intuition and taking everything that's coming up for me as a message mm-hmm. because that's your intuition, that's your whatever your form of source is trying to show you. Mm. And so as I slow down and understand and look at things in so many different ways, which can be exhausting, you know, through meditation, through astrology, tarot, somatics, therapy, understanding like trauma, even my dreams have been very, very potent in this work.
0: Yeah. Tell me about one of your dreams, if you're comfortable.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to do with... It actually has a lot to do with my ancestral healing, though. Mm. A dream that I've had this past year that's been so... Is The symbolism and how it comes up again and again in my life is just so interesting. I had a dream that I had... Um, I was at like a birthday party and I had these crabs under my skin. Hmm. That sounds horrible. <laughs> it was horrifying. <laughs> but you know what is kind of a tangent. I love horror and I love scary movies. Like nothing really scares me. Oh wow, we different. F- the first th- the first movie I saw was The Exorcist as like a young child. Wow. <laughs> so that just like. <laughs> you know set the tone for the rest of my life <laughs> and now I find myself chasing you know something that scares me I hmm. maybe something I have to like
0: that's kind of cool though I like the sound out. of that yeah. chasing the things that scare you
1: because that also sounds like a like bad bitch moves it is it does sound like <laughs> bad bitch moves but now that I'm like thinking about it I'm like wow that just puts things into perspective about my whole life <laughs> all right I'm gonna talk to my therapist about that i see <laughs> Anyways, this crab horror dream, not even a horror story, like I was trying to push them out because I was seeing them as like these huge boils, like crab-shaped boils on my body. And my, my boyfriend was there with me in this dream. And again, we were at this like family gathering and I see that there's like a gaping hole on the left side of my body Your left side of your body is often associated with your matrilineal, your lunar side, so more motherly things. Yeah. Which is, you know, the mother wound is something that I've dealt with my whole life. Hmm. And so I'm just like calmly, not even freaking out, just trying to push them out of my skin down into the hole out of my left foot. Hmm. You know... There were two crabs on my shoulder that were not, I was like, how can I get this all the way down out of my left foot? So the crab in like common dream analysis represents something, an attachments, or something that's clinging to you. And for me, it was so apparent that these things, these attachments, these wounds, these things I'm working on I'm attaching myself to them so much and they're clinging on Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to push them out I spoke so I spoke to my therapist too about this and like I was like really fixated on the imagery of the crabs just staying with me and I couldn't do anything about it Mm. and I've come to understand it as like there are always going to be things that I'm going to have to hold on to. And what I do with these things is important. And that's that's also the work. is like being able to hold space yeah. for as long as I need to and being very patient. And they might not ever leave me. Mm-hmm. Um, so creating a relationship with those things. And I largely believe those two crabs represent my relationships with my mom and my dad Mm. and the crab too holds a lot of weight in Filipino culture and that's something that came back to my memory recently as I'm like planning to get these traditional Filipino tattoos oh and the the person was like well, we can use crab symbolism. And I was like, what? Wow. And they, because that's like a common symbol. And these like indigenous tattoos. And, you know, that was just like, pff, the interconnectedness of it all. It's just, it feels very like mystical, but it's just so real for me. Mm-hmm and also it just calls back to a memory of my mom as a kid she would cook one of my favorite favorite dishes is coconut and uh, crab and coconut milk oh and it's so good and my mom would make it for me and you just make it in this huge pot and she would take the time to crack open and take out all the good stuff for me Mm. to enjoy she would do all of that work for me and just remembering this story and relaying it to my therapist was so healing and I saw my mom in such a different light because I think all these years I've suppressed a lot of good memories Mm. yeah yeah
0: that's amazing i i don't remember my dreams very very often so like to hear such a vivid dream with so many rich messages that are so connected to who you are yeah that's amazing yeah (laughs) and it's cool that like part of your healing journey was just sharing that story with your therapist Mm -hmm. um i love that you say stories are medicine because that's I wholeheartedly believe that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this podcast.
1: Yeah. It's something I'm going to remember. This experience with this dream and how it's helped me remember who I am and who my mom is. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for the longest time, I've always seen her as someone who just is super critical of me and, you know, put a lot of pressure on me. Like I said, I I forgot all these good memories I've had of her. Yeah. And then over the pandemic, she showed up for me in so many different in a, in a new way, not even a new way. Mm-hmm. You know, just in she has showed up for me in a way that I was able to see again who she was. She would bring me groceries. Mm-hmm. She's worked in a hospital so she was a first responder too and she would take the time to bring me groceries and then one day I think it was for Christmas she made the crab dish and she hadn't made it in a long time Mm. yeah that's amazing
0: I love that I love that some of the work has been I don't know if mending is the right word because I don't know if your relationship with your mom needed mending but it was just kind of like reinvigorating this relationship and this powerful model of your life yeah and just I mean from my own experience and from a lot of my friends it's like your relationship with your parents can alter your life significantly I mean oh really? yeah
1: I haven't even gone into like you know <laughs> the shit that I've gone through with my mom everything that I've gone through comes back to that relationship all the good and the bad
0: yeah and it's 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 work just acknowledging that mm-hmm. I know that my relationship my relationship with my dad has always been complicated mm-hmm. so complicated and for I would say most of my years in the household like in the house with my parents it was mostly a negative relationship I couldn't I couldn't make way to see any of the positive yeah and a lot of the work for me now has been still acknowledging those things and and validating them like those feelings were absolutely valid and and real (laughs) and necessary but like you said like there was a lot of neglect happening to all the positive things and there are so many positive things and I think the way that especially, like, mainstream relationships are portrayed in media with parents. Like, I couldn't see all the love my dad was giving me because it wasn't showing up in, like, affection. Like, my parents aren't affectionate. No. That's not... It's not a thing. <laughs> and, so, and so, like, like you said, your mom bringing you groceries. I'm like, that would be... Like, my parents would do that kind of thing, and that would mean the world to me now. But as a younger person, I would have been like, why can't you just say you love me or you're proud of me? But it's like, that's not... The way they show up with their love. Yeah. I don't, it's such a healing thing to be able to reconnect with the loving parts of your parents despite all of the stuff that you go through with them.
1: Exactly. And, like, what I like to share, like I said earlier, is that through yoga or whatever healing practice you have, you're, you're coming back to yourself and you're remembering your humanness, right? Mm. And... I think for a long time, I was so selfish and trying to do that for myself. I wasn't doing that for my mom Mm -hmm. because we had a very difficult and contentious relationship growing up. Like Mm -hmm. we were not close. Yeah. It was very difficult. And we were the only two people in the house because I'm an only child and she was a single mom. Yeah. And to be able to see her in a different way at this time in my life has been very healing. Mm -hmm. And I can see her humanness. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So for the longest time, I just felt like she was the most critical person, most cutting person ever.
0: Yeah.
1: And as one day, as she was giving me this, like, criticism, I could see her for who... what she was projecting. She just is someone who... Was criticized for the way that she looked her whole life. Hmm. And I would always take that so personally. But there was just one specific time in the past year where I heard her say something about my body. And I was like, I can see how hurt you are. Mm. And that hurt me so much. Mm -hmm. And I saw her humanness. Yeah. I had so much empathy for her. And she may never, I'm never, no, I'm not gonna say never, but I haven't had that conversation with her. We don't really have in-depth conversations like that, but I always wonder if she'll ever understand that for herself and that's okay if she doesn't because I think part of my job and in respect to her and what our ancestors have gone through to be judged so harshly and criticized and used and abused, mm-hmm. I have a responsibility to acknowledge that and hold space for that and give my mom that acknowledgement that she needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean,
0: and I was going to ask you this, and I you may have you kind of answered it, but I'm not sure. Like, is because is your mom open about some of the stuff she's experienced like will she tell you stories? And I only ask that because like my dad doesn't uh-huh. And so sometimes when I'm trying to access like his humanness, I know there are things that have happened in his life that he'll never share with me mm-hmm. and I and so when things happen when he kind of projects that onto me, I'm like, oh, but you've gone through so many things and some of those things that I've that I know about I've only heard from other people so I can't imagine what else he's holding. But, like, I don't know all those stories, and so I'm just curious, like, has your mom shared any of those stories with you about, you know, just being super criticized, being, you know, being in environments where she had to be super
1: perfect? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of secrets, and there's definitely a lot of things I don't know, Mm -hmm. and that is definitely my mom's or my family's way of protecting us yeah and but being a very curious person and someone who reflects a lot and you know i can take all the bits and pieces that i have heard and put it together but i will say like i she doesn't share a lot she's very reserved Mm -hmm. and i get that from her because otherwise i'm like chaotic I rem- okay, so I remember one time she told me, "In the Philippines, you would be considered like C class because you have darker skin. Oh. And I have lighter skin. And so you know, I would be tr- I'm treated differently. And you know, hearing that as a young girl here and then going to like a predominantly white school, private school um, didn't do so well on my mental health Mm -hmm. and I don't blame my mom for saying those things Mm -hmm. it's just the way that you know people in the society in the Philippines they are obsessed with America Mm -hmm. and the US and western beauty standards like Obsessed. yeah. so that only shows me you know what she had to go through growing up. yeah and they are also conditioned to like be proper women. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like <laughs> and also my mom was her role in her family. She is one of like I eight or eight siblings does a lot she bared a lot of the weight of like taking care of the family too hmm That from what I know mhm so there was a lot of pressure on her yeah and she's also I believe one of the only ones that you know went to college and then pursued the medical field in the US wow so that's a lot of pressure on her
0: yeah talk about trying to be perfect yeah in an entirely new place, yeah, away from your family and what you know and who you are, and yeah, and can't imagine the stories that she has. Honestly,
1: yeah, some cute stories are like flooding in my mind because she grew up in a province in the in northern northern Philippines where she would, you know, like climb banana trees mm-hmm. and ride. Water buffalo in like the rice fields. You know, like what a pleasant story, but you know, they really struggled. They would share like one piece of fish mm. between the entire family for dinner. Yeah. Tilapia. And those are the stories that I hear and all about all the hardship. And then also coming to. America, she did a really good job of making me feel like we were good for Mm -hmm. the longest time. And I, it took a while for me to understand what they went through coming here. And there was one moment in high school, I think I was a freshman in high school or either in eighth grade or something. And like I said, she sent me to private predominantly white schools. And I did not do well. There's just something in (laughs) me that was like, this is not for me. But it was such a like strange thing where she put me in these schools, but also she would be like, oh, don't be friends with all the white people. Hmm. You know, and I it would it was such a confusing message. Yeah. And then you know, I don't think she could have anticipated. This time, where I was like, Well, racism doesn't exist anymore. And she was like, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. I can't believe those words came out of my mouth.
0: While you're carrying also the story of your skin being too dark among white people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I was a very confused child. I was yeah. receiving mi- mixed stories all the time. Mm-hmm. My aunt was also in the in the room, and they had to sit me down, and they were like, "When we came here and moved here and bought our first house mm-hmm. as Filipino immigrants, the KKK burned crosses on our front lawn, mm-hmm. and from that point on, my my life my worldview changed, mm-hmm. and I just started to always interrogate." and look into everything.
0: Yeah. I think it's important to I feel like I don't know how many people I have come across who don't believe that like the people think that KKK is so far removed from <laughs> present day or even like our generation or you know or what I mean? Or even here
1: in the Bay Area.
0: Or even here in the Bay like cuz right. well and it's cuz and I always I always tell people this story when people like to challenge me a lot when I talk about the importance of being openly black in white spaces. They're like, but we, do we really need that? We've gotten so far, you know? Oh. Things have gotten so far, and, you know, it's not like we have the KKK. Well, it's like, when I was a kid and my family moved to Louisiana, we actually were trying—that was the place where my parents were trying to get their first house, mm-hmm. and they moved into a neighborhood uh, where one of the grand wizards of the KKK lived— <laughs> And I guess when we first decided to put an offer, the landlord was threatened by the KKK. Like, if you let this family move in, then we're going to kill you. And the landlord was like, this family's really cool. Like, like, I'm going to let them know this happened, but I'm not going to keep them from buying this home. But then it was like, then my parents got a letter that they would murder me and my siblings. Oh, my gosh. And people don't, like, realize that. It's still happening, right? Like the KKK is still alive and well. Yeah, you may have a new uniform sometimes, but like, yeah. <laughs> like you know what I mean? It's like they're still there. I mean, they could be among us every day. Like we're yeah. not. And so I just think that's that's such a poignant story, especially right after you shared like a time in your life where you were like, "Well, racism isn't a thing anymore," and then that happened to your family, and then now that's like shifted. Yeah. How you see things moving forward?
1: Yeah, that was a big conversation. There's just, you know, my mom tried so hard to protect me and keep these things from me. Mm. And I totally understand it, but actually being more open with it helped me.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I suppose, or at least I think, that breaking the cycle could mean like you are more transparent about your own experiences whether or not you have children but like with your friends with your community
1: yeah that's part of my purpose here mm. because I've lived a life where i felt so shut down and like quiet I'm here to continue sharing stories in a very in a more honest and real way you know I mean it's not that I wasn't I'm very open and I share so much but again it was coming from a place of like proving myself Mm -hmm. whereas now sharing stories and sharing my experiences and my understanding of them is much more than that
0: there's a lot of things we have to do in order to manage the chaos of our minds and all like even just manage the work we're doing and actively healing sometimes that can be very depleting and so i like to talk to people about what their escape is whether it's healthy or unhealthy there's no judgment there because i believe what you need to do to get through is you
1: yeah i'm always trying to gather more information and gather more ways to help myself i'm like I'm trying to learn all of these healing modalities, too, as a yoga teacher. Yeah. Um, So it does get exhausting. Um, What I do is sit on my ass and watch, like, 20 episodes of Real Housewives. Oh, which one? All of them. (laughs) Like, all of them. Respect. I love Real Housewives of Potomac. So do I. Of Atlanta. Amen. I even watch Beverly Hills. Haven't seen that one yet. Orange County. <laughs> I watch all the crazy white women. <laughs> and I don't watch New York, though. Just because lack of time or you <laughs> don't like the area? I just, like, <laughs> I haven't been hooked on that one yet. Yeah. But, yeah, I watch Real Housewives. Sometimes I find myself crying because I'm like, oh, yeah. I relate. Yeah. And yeah, there are moments where I sit back and I'm like, oh, this is so horrible. It perpetuates like horrible stereotypes. Yes. Especially about Black women. Mm-hmm. And you know, I come at it with a critical lens as well. But I also just turn off my brain.
0: Yeah. There's an art form to watching shows acknowledging like the problematic nature but continuing to watch because i think we can make ourselves work too much if we're going to just spend the time unpacking everything and so i i like have to actively give my myself permission to watch and be like that's wrong they're wrong for that (laughs) and then keep going like it's just like because we can't there's so much there's so much on tv that is so problematic but I love watching TV, so, like, I can't just take that away from myself.
1: I love TV. And I've always watched reality t- television since I was a kid. Um, it's just been so fascinating, and I've learned a lot.
0: Yes. There is a lot to learn.
1: There is a lot to learn.
0: And I think that, yeah, that was, that was like, where I was failing myself and saying, like, oh, well, I wouldn't get to, like, I learned so much. Yeah, from Real Housewives, <laughs> yeah. I've I've also learned how to you know like snap back at people from mm-hmm. and like advocate for myself and like yeah. set hard boundaries. Yeah, from watching Real Housewives, just a little plug for people who <laughs> feel like they shouldn't watch it, but there's there's so much to it. But I love that that's one of your one of your escapes. Yeah, what are some of the boundaries that you put into your life? Boundaries like with your own work and your life and like trying to make sure you're honoring both sides of it.
1: Mm Hmm. I take rest whenever I need to. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard question for me right now because I don't have much work. (laughs) Well, that's, I'm like, that's a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) But
0: also rest. I mean, just saying that you, you rest a lot. For me, I'm like, that's that's a boundary in itself because there are so many things, like you mentioned at the very beginning about grind culture mm-hmm. that tells us that rest is laziness. Like, I think this was in the first episode. You can rest when you're dead. Like, rest was never oh, right. something I prioritized. So, like, even just being like, I rest a lot, I'm like, that's huge.
1: Yeah. I have to. You know, I spend a lot of my time holding space for other people and their energy. And that can cause a lot of like fatigue. And, you know, sometimes I don't understand that I'm operating on like an empty tank. So I've learned to really be in my body and understand when it's telling me, like the rest is going to help you more than trying to push through all of this work. Looking back on everything that we talked about, Today and then you know conversation I have with my friend last night is like just reminding me that I've always loved to just indulge in myself because I've had to because of the things that I've had to go through and you know the things that I deal with on a day day to day. I also have a I also have a hypothyroid, which causes me to just be fatigued twenty four seven. Yeah. And it's something I've prioritized. I can't see myself ever being someone who is working all the time, which is the total antithesis to my mom. She's like a workhorse. She's not retired. Any
0: last closing thoughts, words? Especially for people who are interested in doing, like, ancestral healing work. Uh Uh-huh. Any, like... Advice for where to start or how to start.
1: You just got to open the door to having those conversations with people in your community or your parents. Mm-hmm. And that also might just come naturally in being curious about yourself. Because if you want to learn about yourself, you gotta like dig deeper in it and get down to the roots of where you came from. And that naturally just informs you of where you have come from. And then you start to understand, you know, how that's informed everything that's happened in your entire life. Removing all those layers. It can be very scary. What I love to share through my own work is that it can be fun. It's fucking wild, (laughs) you know, like the landscapes of your mind and your body have so much to share and tell to yourself and to everyone around you. And those are like imprints of the past and your lineages. Our presence, your presence, my presence and existence right now is like in the image and in the story of your ancestors. Mm. And that's very important and potent Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in healing work, especially.
0: This podcast is a labor of love. And too often, labor by black women happens without compensation. If anything in this episode resonated, and if you're taking anything along with you today, please consider donating to our Patreon or sending funds via Venmo. All information is available on that's no longer my ministry.com. Also, wherever you're listening to this episode, please consider subscribing and tuning in to next week's community release. Bye fam.